Hey, it's Andy from Talking to Teens. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a five-star review. Reviews on Apple and Spotify help other parents find the show, and that helps us keep the lights on. Thanks for being a listener, and here's the show. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle, creator of the Teenage Personality Quiz. Head to TalkingToTeens.com for a free PDF explaining how your teenager thinks. We are here today with Jessica Leahy. She is the author of the New York Times bestselling book, The Gift of of failure, how the best parents learn to let go so their children can succeed. Jessica is an educator, speaker, and writer. She has worked as an English, Latin, and writing teacher in middle school and high school for more than a decade and wrote the parent-teacher conference advice column for the New York Times. She also writes for The Atlantic, The Washington Post, and she's been on the radio, on the news, all over the place. She wrote this book, The Gift of Failure, six years ago, and it's considered an important voice in this growing movement among parenting experts uh, to let kids fail. And so she has some amazing tips in this book that come from research and that also come from her own experiences in the classroom and some really, really practical advice for parents. So I can't wait to dive in to all that and more. Jessica, thank you so much for making the time to come on the show today. This book, I feel like I see all over the place. I'm currently just in a stage where I'm doing a lot of traveling. I've been living a, one month in, in a different country each month and kind of traveling around. Oh, my gosh. And so, yeah, it's been really cool. But I feel like I've been seeing your book all over the place. And specifically, oh, cool. I was in South America earlier this year. And I sometimes I just go into bookstores in different countries and see what parenting books I can find and what I recognize, you know. Uh, and so your book was one of the few. Did you tweet a bit at me about this? I, I, I must have done so. I think I sent a picture Thank to you. Thank you did, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah, because yeah, I was super excited. I found it in this like bookstore in Argentina. And so anyway, so your book is everywhere. It's all over the world. And it's a really big deal. But how did it start? Oh, so I've been a teacher for, well, I've been a teacher and a parent for the same amount of time. I, I started teaching when I was pregnant with my older son, who's now in college. And uh, I've taught every grade from six to 12. And really, it came out of what I was seeing in my classroom, the concerns I had about my students being really reluctant to make mistakes, reluctant to, quote, look stupid, to, you know, venture a guess at something they weren't sure they knew right off the bat. Writing rough drafts was hard for them because they were afraid they, you know, they don't like to look anything other than perfect. And so my kids, my students, teachers tend to, tend to do that. When I say my kids, sometimes I mean my students, but my students were getting increasingly anxious levels of sort of this perfectionism that was tipping over into sort of an obsessive compulsive personality disorder was starting to happen. And I was really worried. And to be really, really frank, I was getting angry at the parents of my students, which is a really bad place to be because, you know, all the research is clear on this, that when homeschool relationships are strong, kids learn better. And 
total humiliation. I realized I was doing the exact same thing that they were doing with my own kids. And so I had to have one of those moments where I said, you know, it's really easy for me to blame the parents of my students for, you know, quote, wrecking my students or making it so that they were less able to learn. Uh, and yet I'm doing the same thing to my own kids. So that's my favorite place to be from a writing perspective, something that's really important to me because it's you know, about my kids and, and the way my family works. And yet at the same time is about the research and make being becoming a better teacher. So it was, it was so much fun. I did, you know, two years pulling together all the research on motivation and, and how kids learn and how so-called helicopter parenting or highly directive parenting affects that. It's been really, it's been a really fun ride. So one thing that you point out in here kind of early on that I thought was a really good point was you kind of talk about where this comes from, or you call it how failure became a dirty word. And so you talk about how actually kind of a lot of times as a parent, those opportunities where you can kind of save the day for your kid are when you really feel good about yourself or kind of when you, you know, when you're able to kind of see something coming. Yeah, I mean, it's really tempting to, you know, seeing your kid frustrated is so horrifying. You don't want your kid to feel bad about themselves. You want their kid, you want your kid's self-esteem to be, you know, so strong and so unbreakable. You want them to feel like they're triumphant all the time. And yet what we do is we interrupt that very process by taking a task away from them before they get a chance to feel triumphant about it. And we tend to underestimate what our kids might be able to do if we just gave them the chance to sort of stick with it for a little longer. And the problem with that is the more we take over for our kids and do things for them, not only do we convey the message to them that we don't think they can do it themselves, we also create this state of what's called learned helplessness, where um, kids right. feel increasingly paralyzed and increasingly helpless, and we're sort of feeding that cycle. And the worst part of it from a teaching perspective is when we make it so that our kids don't have much comfort with frustration, when they can't deal with their own frustration, when they can't push through and sort of cope with those feelings, they end up being less able to learn in school and in life because the teaching tools that I use in my classroom that are most effective happen to be tools that require kids to wrestle with frustration a little bit and stick with, stick with difficult tasks until they complete them. So, you know, we're trying our best to, you know, make our kids feel comfortable and capable. And yet at the same time, we're actually doing the exact opposite, which, you know, was kind of an eye opener for me <laughs> as a parent. Yeah. Right. Part of the problem is the top down nature of a lot of goal setting that happens in families where the goals are really just directed by the parents you know it's just kind of the things that the parent thinks will be best for the kid but without necessarily including the kid in the process of that's what's the so goal. crazy we've got the kid right there in front of us and yet one of the last things we think to do is to ask them how they envision a solution yeah to because the they don't they just don't really have that much experience yet they don't know really what's best for them yeah we may have more experience with sort of the details of like how i was using this example in an earlier uh, when i was talking to someone yesterday about how you know for example how to walk into an airport and get from point A to point B and board your flight. Mm. Yeah, we have more experience with that, but at the same time with things like, I don't know, like doing your homework. 
kids doing their homework, we tend to, as parents, have a vision for how that's going to happen in this carefully curated communal space we've created in our house because that's how we always envisioned it would look like in our home. But when we yeah. say to kids, you know, sweetie, how would how and where and at what time and you know under what conditions would be your perfect homework day? And they, you know, obviously not doing homework can't be the answer, but you know, how and where would you do it? And what was really interesting is when I finally thought to ask my kids, they had two very different answers to that. Um, one wanted to do it the minute he got home from school so he could get it out of the way and do fun stuff that he wanted to do after. And the other had to do the fun stuff and get his heebie-jeebies out first before he could actually focus on the homework. So, you know, the fact that I never thought to ask them and it was my rule that you do homework the minute you get in the door so that you can get it done, um, it didn't take any of their preferences into account and gave them no sense of autonomy over their homework, which in the end, lowered the chances that they were going to be personally invested in getting the homework done. So, you know, just yeah. thinking to ask is a really great first step. I feel like it's so easy to jump from, hey, I've tried everything and trust me, this is what works best to, so this is what you should do. And instead of like just encouraging them to kind of have their own process of trial and error and discovering what works best from them. And it's just so hard because you've, you've already gone through it, you know, and you've already figured out this is totally the way to do it. There are certain things that we kind of know we can't do that. You know, I, uh, with my students, I always want to sort of, when I see them get broken hearts, like if they get dumped by a, you know, uh, the person uh, they've been dating and you yeah. know that they just have to go through that. Like the, I was, uh, you know, I think a lot about the relationships that made me be the person I am. Some of them were not terribly pretty. Some of them were actually a little bit unhealthy, but that was, you know, something I had to, I had to deal with and I had to become stronger and had to figure out what I wanted and what I didn't want in a relationship. And that was not a process someone else could do for me. So when I'm ready to step in on something that I'm like, oh, well, Mike, I've been through this. I know how this should work. I should just do this for you because I've got all the wisdom. I try to think of it more about in the terms of the way I would sort of think about a romantic relationship for them. I can't give them the experiences they need in order to know things about themselves. So yes, it would be easier for me to step in and explain how to not get your heart broken, but that's what shapes our feelings of ourselves and our feelings of competence in the world is knowing how we've dealt with those difficult emotions. So, you know, yeah, it would be much easier if I just told my kid moment to moment how to get through an airport. But then when something goes wrong or something is a little different, they're going to have no faith in themselves to figure out, you know, those complicated things on their own. It can, you know, wanting to do for them is great and wanting to do help, you know, help them not feel frustrating is great unless you're creating, you know, helpless kids who don't feel like they have any sort of faith in their ability to figure stuff out for themselves. So part of that is, of course, you, you know, you have to not save them from things. You have to not, as you write in the book, you have to not bring the paper when they finish their homework. They, you know, they do it all perfectly, but they accidentally leave it on the kitchen table in the morning and go to school. You have to let them kind of figure that out on their own rather than bring it to school. But you kind of point out a funny situation in the book where you had that happen, but you actually were going to be heading to the school later that day anyway. So it would be no problem at all for you to just bring the homework and drop it off. And you had to make the difficult choice of do I bring it, you know, for my kid or do I not? And you kind of got into like a Facebook debate about it with some people. 
how do you answer the question, um, which is, you know, if it was your husband or if it was your friend and they made a mistake, you would help them out and you would go out of your way to bring them the thing that they left. But so why is it that for your kid that um, you make the choice not to do that? Well, I think this is really important to point out that it's not that I would never, ever take anything to school for my kid. You know, that I've had parents say to me, look, sure. my kid, you know, is she's a great kid and she never forgets anything and she's really, really organized. And this one time she forgot this thing, why can't I take it to her? And I, I said, <laughs> I never said that. I said that what we should mm -hmm. try to do is to give kids opportunities to learn from their mistakes. And so in the example that I was talking about in the book, my son, my younger son, who is now at the not time he was like nine or ten and and now he's 16 and and doing great and at the time his executive function skills were really weak and that those are lots of different skills but the one that he was having a lot of trouble with was remembering to take that piece of homework finish it put it in his backpack and then take it out of his backpack once he got to school and hand it to his teacher and so we were working really mm. specifically on that skill and of course he left the homework at home on the desk and the Facebook discussion that you're mentioning is um, was actually the most interesting part of that was with this woman named Lisa Heffernan, who actually runs a wonderful website called Grown and Flown. And it's about older kids and sort of supporting them as they're going out into the world. And Lisa said exactly that. We actually said, just had Lisa on the podcast last week. She's she was fantastic. Fantastic. Yes, that's who that message was from. And she said, no, 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 Jess. Um, I, I mean, I totally respect <laughs> you. I respect your work. But as a family, we ha we're supposed to have each other's backs. That's kind of our job is that, you know, when the rest of the world is falling apart, mm. we're the, you know, we're the one source of love and support and respect and blah, blah, blah. And I, and I thought about that a lot and I realized, you know, and she said, so for example, if your husband left his, you know, his laptop charger or whatever at home, that you would take it to him at his office, especially if you were going to be out anyway. And I absolutely would. I've done it a million times. Right, right. But at the same time, the answer to that question is, is that I'm married to a 51, 52 year old person who never forgets stuff and is, you know, is I'm not raising him. I'm raising kids who are working through building their executive function skills. I am my kids training wheels until they can sort of balance and move off and go off into the world on their own. And part of that means that I have to give them these opportunities to feel the repercussions of their actions. My husband is resourceful enough to be able to ask someone else to borrow or to just make do and figure out a way until tomorrow. But my kid, what I want for my kid is not, I don't care so much that he forgot that, um, that homework today. What I care about is that he puts the routines, the strategies in place so that next time he will remember that homework. I want him to be the kind of person who can have a positive adaptive response to his mistakes and make himself better for next time, figure out what wasn't working, try to come up with strategy. And what ended up happening that day, actually, when he was nine and he was in fourth grade with a fantastic teacher named Mr. Dano, Mr. Dano kept him in from recess that day, which is, by the way, mm. not something I approve of. I think the kids who need recess most are the ones who get kept in most oh, often. Gosh, Can't keep kids cannot keep kids in from recesses as, as a disciplinary measure, but he did mm. and whatever, it worked. Um, kept him in from <laughs> recess, didn't let him go back out. And he, you know, even after he finished the homework, he said to Finn, he said, you know, 
this has been going on for long enough. And what I'd like for you to do is to sit here and come up with a strategy so that tomorrow you won't forget your homework. What can you, what can you come up with as a strategy? And it was this amazing moment because my kid came home that day and I said, you know, how did things go? And he's like, yeah, it went fine. It was a great day, whatever. And I said, yeah, but what about the homework? And he said, oh, Mr. Dano kept me in and that kind of stank and I hated that. But he made me, he told me I had to come up with a strategy. So I did. I came up with a checklist. I'm going to make myself a checklist and I think I'll put it on the refrigerator. And on that will be homework. And I promise you from that day until just about last year, this has been the first academic year that he has not put a um, checklist on the refrigerator and I keep wow. them. I have, I have all the copies of them. He puts them on index cards. Every year <laughs> he puts a new checklist on the refrigerator and that's been the strategy that he came up with that day. He believes on his own, even though I had been suggesting it to him for ages. That's not what was important. What was important to him is that it was his strategy that he, he came up with that yeah. day. And then that was the thing that he had buy-in on. And so yeah. for well, however many, it's been six years, seven years that he's been using those checklists and they continue to work for him because as far as he are, he's concerned, it's the strategy that he came up with himself. Um, so that, you know, that was a huge pivotal moment. Not taking that homework that day led yeah. to one of those times when he had to talk to an adult about how to do better. And it was, it's, it changed a lot of things for my kid. Isn't it true that you just, don't make a change until something happens that makes you say, ah, oh, man, I really need to get better at that. Or I really need to change that. You know, it's like for you to like really make a big change in your life and re-examine kind of the way that you're living or your habits, um, you know, you kind of do need to have a failure. You need to have a something that makes you feel bad and that makes you really re-examine how you want to be. Well, the nice thing about having those moments is that for kids, especially, they don't necessarily have to be their moments all the time. One of the things that we do a lot mm. in our families, we talk through at dinner time um, how we've, we talk a lot about our goals, sort of we try to set goals, short-term and long-term goals for ourselves every once in a while and just sort of check in with each other on those goals. And, you know, when I have something go wrong at work, and believe me, there have been plenty of things I tell um because I tend to talk a lot about failure, I tend to get a lot of questions about my own failures and I'm perfectly happy to talk about those because they're really important learning moments for me. But more than that, they've been really incredible learning opportunities for my kids because I talk about the struggles I'm having at work with them. So when we have a triumph in our family, when something finally goes really well, my kids don't think, oh, that was super easy. You just send off a pitch to a, news, a national newspaper and you get to write a column for that newspaper for three years. That's not how my um, career as a journalist worked. I got, you know, they got to see all the rejections and they got to see all the mistakes I made so that when the good stuff finally happened, they knew it was the product of a lot of hard work and resilience and all that kind of stuff rather than, so, you know, we can talk, until we're blue in the face about how our kids should do stuff. But if we're not modeling that for them, uh, you know, we're just the parents and the peanuts carrying, you know, Charlie Brown, we're just the wah, 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 until they actually can see that we're um, putting our money where our mouth is. And we're actually, you know, walking the walk to mix metaphors um, that we do what we 
we are actually following our own best advice and show them that that's, you know, I don't know why we seem to think that we need to keep it a secret from our kids that we're not perfect. Yeah, right. We need to maintain this Totally know. They absolutely know. Yeah. chapter on household duties there's something i love uh it's on page 84 you say oh and one last thing if you go behind your child's back and redo the chore he's just finished to his satisfaction even if it's after he's left the room he'll notice you'll be telling him through your actions not only that he's incompetent but that you will finish the job if he's careless this is one lesson that you don't want him to learn both for his sake and for yours and i thought that was just like such a important point and it This is such great advice. I should really take it, but I reloaded the dishwasher after. So yesterday, my son, six years after this book was published, yesterday, (laughs) five and a half, whatever, my son loaded all the glasses, uh, all the short things on the bottom half of the dishwasher and a bunch of tall things on the top half. And Uh it all higgledy-piggledy, no rhyme or reason to it. And he was standing right there. And I said you know, this is the opposite of how it's supposed to be done. And he's like, eh, it doesn't matter. And then he watched me redo it. So I absolutely 100% have to remind myself all the time, do I want my kid to be the kind of kid that um, can do it? You know, that I, what I really need to keep my eye on is I want my kid to be the kind of kid that can do it right next time, not necessarily that he did it perfectly this time. And I completely undermined that just the other day. So this is like a constant work in progress for us. It's not like you learn as a parent how to do something and then you you just nail it from there on out. It's it's such a process. So then, okay, what what would be the proper response in that situation? You would just let the higgledy-piggledy dishes get shoved into the dishwasher and make some kind of a mess or who knows what would happen? No, I mean, I, you know, honestly, the way I should have dealt with it is the way I often deal with things is, is instead of now just telling that kid, the younger kid in particular, although, you know, we have lapses all the time with everyone, is, you know, often what I'll do is ask the kid to come back and say, you know, could you just look at the dishwasher and is there anything that you notice that's amiss? Or I could say, let me explain to you why this is makes no sense and could you please redo it? Or what if I need, you know, just and not from a place of um, trying to shame him or make him feel stupid, but that if he does it wrong, then I'm just left with having to do the work anyway. And that's not what we do to each other as a family. Like I would never do something for him, but do it in a really half-assed way so that he has to come back and redo it. That's, you know, I, I just would never do that. And so a lot of time I, you know, that's one of the other things we do a lot is we talk about, you know, that whole building empathy for other people and say, you know, how would you feel if so-and-so did this to you and just turn the tables and, I think because our kids tend to think that it's our job as parents to do these things for kids. And believe me, they make me very, very happy to do them. I love showing my love by cooking a good meal and, you know, making their lives a little easier when they need help. But in the meantime, what I'm also trying to do is make it really clear that they're part of this family. And when we support each other, that's how we function as families. It's, it's not like it's, I'm, they're not going to be paid for their, their, for doing household duties around the house because I don't get paid for doing household duties around the house. It's what we do 
because we support and love each other and, um, and respect each other. And so having all of those discussions come from there. So what I should have done was ask him to come back into the room, which of course always drives him bonkers and say, you know, actually, you know, thanks for giving it a shot the first time. But as, as you may recall, you know, tall things have to go on the bottom and the shorter things have to go on the top. So could you fix that so that we can actually fit more dishes in the dishwasher? And he, he's pretty good. You know, both of my kids tend to be pretty good about that, but at the same time, they're kids and they're going to have lapses where like all of a sudden they forget that the dishwasher exists in the first place and everything just goes in the sink. And then we have another conversation. It's, you know, I wrote um, I wrote an article. I used to write this column from the New York Times called the Parent Teacher Conference, and I, the very last piece I ever wrote for that column was one about um, parenting being a long haul progress, a long haul process, a long haul job, not you know mm -hmm. this short term function in the emergency thing. When we work from the daily emergencies, we tend to get it pretty wrong. But what I'm always trying to do is think ahead to where I want my kid to be in six months, in a year. And in that article, I, I said to uh, my editor at the time, I said, you know, my kid has suddenly forgotten how to do laundry. Like, I know he knows how to do it. It's like he just, it's like it's erased from his memory or something, like he had a memory wipe. And at the same time, she said, yeah, but think about how far he's come since this time last year. Think about where mm -hmm. he was a year ago. And I think we tend to lose perspective, long-term perspective on just how competent our kids become when we let them become that. Um, it's just, you know, it's a, it's a process of constantly having to remind ourselves that it's a becoming, not a, okay, this, this lesson has been learned, we're now done, we can check that off the list and we never have to talk about it ever again. The dishwasher will be a constantly recurring discussion, I'm sure. <laughs> we will not get it right, probably ever, but that's okay. It's a process. We get closer Until they closer have to, to load their own. Well, at some point, they're going to have to load their own dishwashers. And at that point, I just hope like a little voice in their head says, oh, yeah, she said something about how if you put the big, huge pots on the bottom, no water will ever make it to the top of the dishwasher. And, you know. It'll, you know, then he'll say, oh, I should, I should have listened to that six years ago. <laughs> uh, she, she did know a thing or two, that lady. <laughs> we are here with Jessica Leahy talking about her book, The Gift of Failure. And we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. Social jostling and bullying can look a lot alike. You write in this book that middle school is a setup because kids are set up to fail in middle school. What do you mean by that? How is middle school a setup and what should parents do about it? I tell a story in the book about a kid who had attention issues and was in my class and he, th he threw a pen across the classroom and it nearly hit me in the head. When I asked him sort of what he was thinking right before he threw the pen, he said very honestly that he wasn't. He, he honestly had acted before he'd even engaged in the thinking process about what was gonna happen. And you know, if you spend any time at all around kids, you've seen this before. The one line I would love to draw for you right now though is, a lot of parents ask me about how they can keep get their kid to keep their room clean. 
And I'm gonna say one little thing about that, which is that. Wanna hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get unlimited access to all the interviews I've conducted. It's completely affordable and your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.